Blog Talk Radio. Well, welcome to Crystal Silence League Hour. Once again, this is John St. Germain. And once again, Blog Talk is malfunctioning. We usually queue up our uh, introductory music, but I'm getting the spinning wheel of death on my control board. You know, we play Blog Talk Roulette here quite a bit to see if uh, things work. And this week we're entering a topic of great controversy and uh, great interest to many of us, and that is the near-death experience. Uh, the near-death experience is a, um, uh, well, in the <laughs> there's my music coming in, so why don't we listen to that for just a moment, and you know what, I've got it turned off now, so this is uh, Blog Talk Hang Time now, so let's just listen to this for just a minute, and I'll just come right back in, I don't hang. This is where I usually come in, about right here, you know, with my announcement. And I say, usually, go get you a, a cold and frosty drink and come back in just a moment. And then we listen to music for a few minutes, so why don't we do that right now? Well, and we're back, and I don't know about you guys, but man, it's really hot where I am, and uh, it's in the upper 90s, it's almost uh, 96 to 98 degrees here um, in East Tennessee, and in my little office here, my studio, uh, I don't have AC. When they built this old house and put ventilation in it, they just didn't do it in this part. This part of the house is a uh, addition, and the... Uh, ventilation which is the old-fashioned floor grate forced air beautiful it works beautifully in the rest of the house but they didn't extend it to the addition so this part of the house is like being in the uh, 40th 11th floor of hell in the summer and when my office i said hey this will make a great office <laughs> it didn't occur to me we moved in here in january you know it's nice and cool in here so now it looks like salvador dolly's uh persistence of time with all the melted clocks on the edges of the table and stuff it's just very very warm so this is the crystal silence league hour founded around 1917 about claude alexander conlon a magical adept who created it for the purpose of projecting positive affirmation and prayer for all those in need and he did this through the agency of crystals and crystal balls and so when he passed into the silence around 1954, the League went with him until Missionary Independent Spiritual Church brought it back to life on the Internet. And, of course, now with the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches, still on the Internet. And you can find us, the Crystal Silence League, that is, at www.crystalsilenceleague.org. And if you go there, you will find a page where you can post your prayers, the Prayer Request page. And by golly, we get about 200 or more prayer requests a week. I think we get about 100 a day. I uh, I think we do because I had to go uh, help a lady 
a young lady delete her prayers and um, for January, February, and March, and I put a hundred to a page, and there were there were days when we got a hundred and the date didn't change. So I think we may get a couple hundred a day. So it's been my custom to read some of these prayers aloud on the show, and I never do this by name. I do it by a prayer number, and I invite you guys to pray along with me. Yes, I do indeed. And uh, we will start with prayer ID number 73947, who says, Dear God, Goddess of Venus, St. Martha, Holy Spirit, please intervene and help. This pitiful soul has been asking for help. Can you please answer my prayers and end my miserable wait? I love YM and ask that we be in a committed relationship. And let him see I'm the only love and most compatible with him. I have a lot to offer and deserve an unconditional love from him. Please step in and send me assistance. I'm forever grateful and gracious. Please let me and him reunite as one in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer ID 73946. Sorry for another request. Don't never apologize. We pray for everyone. But this just came in that my boss wants to send someone from her group to California team week of July 16th. We were just trying to figure out how we could afford to get back there. I'm the obvious choice because of the work I do with them, but my luck is terrible. Please make everyone else request and improve that I'm the one to go to Sunnyvale that week with the group. Please. Amen. Wasn't Sunnyvale that place on Buffy the Vampire Slayer where the Hellmouth was? Um, you sure you want to go there? Prayer ID 73945. For the past year and a half, I've been struggling to get my husband off of drugs. He's done bad things because of it. He suffered a bad head injury in late April, but left the hospital due to drugs. He was, oh, pardon, he was arrested. A day and a half later from warrants he acquired due to drugs. Long story short, he's in jail. And I live seven miles away. My ex was moving with my kids. I don't know what kind of prayer I need, but my husband hasn't called me in over a week, and I'm depressed. I need a way back to him. Amen. Prayer ID 73944, praying for a loved one for Michael's healing. Prayer ID 73943, please pray that I will find a way to pay for the classes I need so I can start nursing school. Amen. Prayer ID 73942, please pray for my court hearing today to go in my favor. And that's today. I want my husband to pay me support, legal fees, and sign over the house. He punched me and laughed, calling me ugly. Amen. Prayer ID 73941. Please, gods, goddesses, and spirits, please aid me in getting this loan in order to get out of debt and save me from losing my house. Amen. And prayer ID 73940. I need to heal from past wounds that continue to hinder my growth. I've been told I likely suffer from PTSD related to abuse. My dad died when I was 15, and there's still a lot of anger toward him, and I'm 38. I know I'm holding on to the pain I have accumulated over the years, and my readings indicate I may block success and happiness because of this. I can accept that, and I believe it, but that's not as far as I can get. I don't know how to shift my mindset, but I want to, and I'm willing and eager to learn. Please pray for my healing. Prayer ID 73939. Who prays for the removal of curses? She says, My son was only mildly affected by the powerful curse on me and my daughters, but now it's hurting him. And this curse has been growing so powerful, especially in the house. We're trying to escape baths and vigils, no help. Only your prayers can help. When my son came to visit from college in June, I felt something dark hurting him. I knew it was the curse. Now, after doing so well at school, working so hard, he's suddenly doing badly. He's stunned, confused, and upset. He knew the answers to a recent test, but he felt a fog come over, and he put wrong answers. Got his first bad grade, no reason, chaos. Please stop it. Amen. And prayer ID 73938. Dear Lord, allow me and my baby father to work things out and have better communication. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 
and prayer ID 73937. Please pray for me, Lord. Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish upon us the work of our hands. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Psalm 90. And prayer ID 73936, who prays for protection for the unborn child of these two, J.J.L., M. in Spokane, Washington, is needing protection from both mother and supposed father. He is supplying crystal meth to Jay and is not trying to protect the child at all. I ask the authorities step in immediately to remedy the situation, that all parental rights be terminated immediately, and a paternity test be taken to prove he is not the father. May the punishment fit the crime for both people. Amen. And prayer ID 73935, pray for total and permanent deliverance protection from whosoever and whatsoever troubling and working against my life, destiny, desires, spells, prayers, expectation, and health. Thanks. And now why don't we have a moment of prayer and meditation for all those in need of strength and support and comfort. Amen. Well, Crystal Knight's uh, Libethonite, and uh, Libethonite, uh, one of the more expensive um, uh, copper-based minerals. Um, now, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's worth it, though. Libethonite is a path seeker. It helps you find your path if it's blocked. If you're looking for answers to the difficult questions in life. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my meaning? It's worth getting a piece of this. Um, it's um, when you're trying to, um, if you're stuck and your life's just not, you know, you feel that feeling like, you know, what's the meaning of all this? I just don't want to go on. And you want to transform that part of your life into a better direction. Uh, it's worth getting. It's called a seeker crystal. And, uh, it helps you find a better way. And um, if you have a dream that's frustrated and you can't achieve it, you have a goal that's blocked and you just can't get it, or you're just stuck in a unbearable situation, this is a pretty good crystal to help you break that. Um, it's also very good 
uh, if you're starting a new business or a new profit-making venture, and you just can't seem to get it off the ground. So it's worth the investment. You don't have to have a huge piece, just a little piece, a little piece. Got, um, it, it's not cheap. It's not a cheap crystal. But um, spirits are not impressed. If you're looking for profit, they're not impressed if you uh, nickel and dime your spirit work. You know, people call me and say, yeah, I want to get rich. Um, I say, well, you you know, you can get some prosperity work. What's the cheapest I can get? <laughs> you know, I, I want to burn a $5 candle on that. Well, you know, spirits aren't that impressed with that uh, cheap approach. Uh, so there it is. Now, since this is a copper sulfate, um, you probably do not want to make a direct elixir. Don't drop it directly in water. Um, ingesting copper is not necessarily a good idea, especially a copper sulfate. So um, if you make an elixir, put it in something else. Put it in an airtight jar and put that in the water. Put it in a vial and put that in the water. And then uh, don't let the water come in contact with it, in other words. Put that in your sunlight. Put that in your moonlight. Let it steep. Let the water absorb its um, metaphysical vibrations. And then use the elixir as you see fit. Add a few drops of brandy in that water to preserve it so it doesn't get moldy. And that's uh, um, libethanite, not libertinite, but libethanite. Wonder if there's a crystal called libertinite that helps you uh, uh, become a libertine. We'll see, if, not libertarian, but libertine. Uh, we'll see, we'll see about that. Now, I'll, I'll look into that and get back with you. I'll I'll I'll, I'll uh, research that. Why don't we see that? Tonight, the near-death experience, where we're just looking into things, uh, experiences that seem to give us some comfort into the spiritual belief that the soul exists after death. Now, there are many of us who've had experiences that we don't really need affirmation. You know, we, we just accept it as a truism part of experience it's like you drop a hammer and it's going to fall and hit your foot self-evident we hold these truths to be self-evident that there's part of us that exists after death but isn't it cool when uh you know science starts to say we have ev we have some evidence here that seems to support this because you know you run into people that say well you know i believe that consciousness uh is an epiphenomenon of the brain, and when the body dies, you know, consciousness goes with it. And you say, well, that's really not what science is saying now. You know, that that's stuck in 19th century materialism that um, kind of ended with Einstein. So we were talking about the near-death experience and what this is. If you're just tuning in in our discussion, is that uh, there are people who clinically die their heart stops and in many cases brain activity ceases and then they're resuscitated and during the period where they were for all intents and purposes dead as we understand death they have a spiritual experience and these are not recent things you're not recent events we'll, we'll see in a minute that these go back descriptions of these go back thousands of years uh, pythagoras um uh, had them and uh we have descriptions of people who Roman soldiers who describe them, and we'll see that uh, these go back uh, in every culture. It's not a Western phenomenon at all either. Every culture has had these. We'll see, and they they're remarkably homogenous. That there are stages that everybody seems to experience. Now there are variations of it depending on the culture, but they all seem to be the same. And these stages. Um, um, uh, have been described. Uh, Raymond Moody wrote some books, um, Many Lives, Many Mansions, something like that, and a few other people. And um, so basically, um, uh, many people actually hear themselves being pronounced dead. So um, a lot of times there's an uncomfortable noise, like a ringing or buzzing in the ears. And then he'll see or feel himself moving rapidly through a long, dark tunnel. And then he'll find himself outside his own body. 
then he'll sometimes and quite often see his or her own body from a distance, like he's floating away or standing next to it. And then he'll uh, witness the attempts to resuscitate his own body, his or her own body. Um, and often this is very upsetting. Some, not often, uh, not always, but sometimes it's upsetting. But sometimes the person feels a sense of peace, like, oh, I must be dead, and it's okay. So, But after a while, the person uh, realizes that what's going on and becomes more accustomed to this very unusual uh, condition and notices he still has some sort of body, but very different, has different abilities um, than the one left behind. So other things begin to happen. Often they'll float around. Um, and then soon after this, after the uh, orientation period, uh, other people will come and meet and help this person. Uh, they will see the spirits of relatives and friends who've already died. And then there's the presence, sometimes seen, but more often felt, loving and warm spirit of a kind never before encountered, often described as a being of light who appears before uh, the person. And this person will often ask a question, um, and this question, though, is usually conveyed non-verbally to make an evaluation of uh, his or her life. And often there'll be a panorama of the person's life, instantaneous playback uh, of the major events of, of that person's life. This is your entire life flashing before your eyes. And at some point, uh, this person may find themselves approaching some sort of barrier or some border, which is the uh, boundary between earthly life and whatever lies beyond. But this person is told that that he or she must go back to the earth, that the time of his death has not yet come. And sometimes they resist because now, uh, you know, uh, he or she's uh, – quite fond of this experience in the afterlife and doesn't want to return. So overwhelmed uh, by these uh, feelings of joy and love and peace, who'd want to go back, right? Uh, so despite this attitude, though, um, it's made clear to this person that uh, he or she has to go back, and then they're reunited with their physical body, and they, they live. They're resuscitated. So what what is... Uh, the most common experience is that they'll try to tell others about it, but has trouble doing so. Um, for one thing, it's uh, the experience cannot adequately be described in words, and the others are scoff scoffing of it, scoffing at it. They, uh, you know, they scoff. Um, so eventually, they just quit talking about it. But In 100% of the cases, these people are profoundly changed, especially in their views about death and in how they relate to other people. So there are stages, and uh, the people who've studied near-death experiences, which, by the way, are not always parapsychologists, but medical people who've, who've witnessed this and are fascinated by it and have made uh, – uh, uh, in-depth uh, scientific studies of it. Um, so many researchers have identified these stages. And uh, so there's there's a composite, basically, the separation of the body, the passage through the tunnel, these feelings of peace and joy. There's a, there's a presence, a life review, entering another realm, and the meeting with deceased relatives. Now, most near-death experiences don't include all of these features, and they don't always occur in a uh, fixed sequence, but they, they've all been described by a, a researcher whose name is Ring, R-I-N-G, as stages. And uh, Dr. Ring has remarked uh, in many interviews in general, people who seem to be clinically dead longer have deeper experiences, but there are some exceptions to this, um, to this fact. So – Let's look at some of these. Um, 
some of these stages and let's look at some of these um, what happens so um, five independent studies of uh, I, I'm not sure how many people in these studies quite a few um, um, indicate the number of people who have had these uh, experiences so um, in five independent studies of a meta-analysis, 70% of people report a feeling of peace or joy. Um, about 65% of people experience an out-of-body experience. Apparently, 30% of people actually entered the tunnel of the darkness. Apparently, 50% of them encountered a bright light. Apparently, about 50% of them met deceased relatives or other beings. Apparently, 20% of them had the life review, and 40% of them entered an unearthly realm. So the first stage of the near-death experience is usually a feeling of deep peace and well-being, including an absolute uh, freedom of pain of any sort. Now, considering that most of the people have a near-death experience have a very serious condition, uh, usually a heart attack, which I've been told is like being hit in the chest with a sledgehammer, uh, that freedom of pain is quite attractive. So this usually is uh, uh, described as uh, extreme happiness and ecstasy and joy and bliss. Now, there may be some moments of uh, sadness and anxiety when you realize you're dead and you see people that have died and you realize, you know, I, I might be leaving Earth forever. Um, they tend to pass very quickly, and the overall experience is uh, always described as enjoyable. So, uh, almost every study has reported this is the most commonly found feature of the near death experience. Um, and the frequency ranges anywhere from 60 to 100% of the reporting experiences. So, um, um, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty good average. Now, Separation from the body is the second stage of the near-death experience, which is the impression or the feeling or the actual uh, experience of leaving your body. Um, the majority of those reporting the out-of-body experience don't recall any sensation of leaving the physical body, only realizing their new state when they uh, see their own physical body from the outside. Um now, a substantial minority reports noises or other sensations during the separation. You know, I wonder if it's like an unzipping sound or something. Afterward, uh, some perceive themselves to exist as completely disembodied consciousness, no uh, astral body at all. And uh, others believe that while they were outside, they had a new body-like form, an astral body. So uh, the unusual properties of this body... Um, can be uh, seen in this uh, account from someone from one of these studies uh, who said people were walking up from all directions to get to the wreck that he was in I could see them and I was in the middle of a very narrow walkway anyways they came by they wouldn't seem to notice me they would just keep walking with their eyes closed with their eyes straight ahead as I came real close I would try to turn around to get out of their way but they would just walk right through me so those who experience the separation report that their mental processes are clear, sharp, and rational. And if anything, um, they think they're able to think faster and more clearly than ever. So vision and hearing are usually the only two senses reported. Sense of touch, nope. Sense of spell, nope. And they're often described as enhanced in an incredible degree. Um, some people say that they can see in 360 degrees. Um, and some individuals say they could see through walls and other objects. The um, ability to read people's thoughts telepathically is sometimes mentioned. And in movement, there seems to be weightlessness and an ability to project themselves wherever they want to go. Um, another um, uh, account uh, is from a man who was pinned under a waterfall during a rafting accident. He said, uh, all of a sudden, I noticed a floating sensation. As if I were rising, I was shocked to find that I was floating upward into the open air above the river. I remember vividly the scene of the water level passing before my eyes. Suddenly, I could see and hear as never before. 
The sound of the waterfall was so crisp and clear that it just cannot be explained by words. Earlier that year, my right ear had been injured when somebody threw an M80 into a bar where I was listening to a band, and it exploded right next to my head. But now I could hear perfectly clearly, better than I ever had before. My sight was even more beautiful. Sights that were close in distance were as clear as those far away, and this was at the same moment which astounded me. There was no blurriness in my vision whatsoever. I felt as if I had been limited by my physical senses all these years and that I had been looking at a distorted picture of reality. As I floated there about six feet above the water, I gazed downward toward the falls. I knew that my physical body was eight feet below the surface of the water, but it did not seem to bother me. Now separated from my physical body, I found that I could survive without all the pain and suffering of physical existence. I never thought of it as pain and suffering when I was in my physical body, but now, after experiencing such total bliss and harmony, it seemed like everything prior to this was like being in some sort of cage. Now, quite often, a report of a near-death experience will include the claim that the experiencer observed something that they could not have been able to perceive in any normal fashion, either because they were unconscious or more, or more rarely, but still uh, often enough to notice, uh, you know, to be noted, uh, they were in a position or in a location that wouldn't allow for the necessary sight lines. Um, one example of that was uh, described in an out-of-body experience following um, some surgical complications in 1974. Uh, in an interview with Dr. Ring, she described how she had gone into shock and heard her physician say, this woman's dying. Suddenly, according to her, bang, I left. The next thing I was aware, I was floating on the ceiling. And I'm very nearsighted too, by the way, which is another of the startling things that happened when I left my body. I see at 15 feet what most people see at 400. They were hooking me up to a machine that was behind my head. And my very first thought was, Jesus, I can see. I can't believe it. I can see. I could read the numbers on the machine behind my head, and I was just so thrilled. And I thought, they gave me back my glasses. And the woman later told Ring that after she recovered, she'd asked permission to return to the operating room to determine whether the numbers she had seen on the machine were correct. Ring writes, she claims that this was indeed so, and that she told her anesthesiologist at the time that since he's no longer practicing in Connecticut and she's lost track of him, it was not possible for me to independently to corroborate her testimony. So the perspective of, um, I don't know, an independent uh, person making this inquiry um, who's interested in the relationship between mind and body, uh, the out-of-body experience has got to be the most important aspect of the near-death experience. If consciousness arises from the body, from the brain, how could it be possible? Um, because the out-of-body experience is the only aspect of the near-death experience that's frequently reported and capable of being independently corroborated because the other feelings, the other stages of the near-death experience, the feeling of peace and joy, traveling through the tunnel, the barrier, the being a light, the dead relatives, are based only on first-person hearsay, right? They're traveler's tales. They're, uh, you know, hey, I went there and came back, and here's what I'm going to tell you. They cannot be corroborated, but the out-of-body experience can be corroborated. Um, without, see, the out-of-body experience, not only does it seem to provide evidence that the mind can function apart and independent from the brain, but it's one of the few aspects of the near-death experience that you can test, right, in principle. Um, it's been rare for investigators to actually provide corroborating evidence to support claims that events or objects were seen in a way that defies normal explanation, but there are many notable exceptions to that rule. And we'll, we'll look at some of those. I collect these. Um, so the near-death experience is not always confined to the earthly environment. Sometimes it may uh, comprise a passage to uh, what seems to be otherworldly realms. Um, sometimes the transition to this realm is experienced as a passage through darkness or through a tunnel. Um, 
Now, in studies involving Western subjects, the passage through darkness or a tunnel is uh, about 30% of the time. So um, there was a woman who suffered a cerebral hemorrhage who said, uh, I remember going through a tunnel, a very, very dark tunnel. And uh, Dr. Raymond Moody conducted this interview, and uh, he asks, did you feel the tunnel was vast? She said, yes, very, very vast. It started at a narrow point and became wider and wider, but I remember it being very, very black. But even though it was black, I wasn't afraid because I knew that there was something at the other end waiting for me that was very good. I found it very pleasant. I wasn't afraid or anything. There was no fear attached to it. I felt very light. I felt like I was floating. And uh, another person who was a victim of a cardiac arrest described something very similar. He said, well, it seemed at that particular time when my heart died, I seemed to go up into a spiral, into a deep, black, pitch black tunnel. I saw nothing. It was just pitch black. I mean, you never saw anything so dark in your life. Another man was resuscitated from three separate cardiac arrests within an hour of admission to a hospital. He later described floating motionless, suspended in a dark void during the first two arrests. And the third cardiac arrest is more prolonged and associated with a sense of movement through the void. He said that everything was black than a floating sensation like spacelessness like they have in a space program he said I wasn't floating in any direction but it was like I was hanging there then after the second arrest he said then I was the same feeling of floating not upward or any direction but just floating then after his third cardiac arrest he said I remember the black enfolding me again but this time instead of having the sensation of just hanging in space I had the sensation of going up like I was lifting up I had the sensation of going up now, and now, in some cases, people describe watching their own resuscitation from within this region of darkness as, um, in many cases, um, there was a, a case Moody uh, describes of a 62-year-old woman who described watching a resuscitation while surrounded by a region of darkness. And she said that during the arrest, I left my body and was in to the side in a sort of a dark tube. It was real dark in there, but I could see what they were doing. I could hear them. I saw them doing all this big stuff, all this stuff to me, like you would be a, put a big tube off to the side of the bed, and I just slid from the bed right into that tube, just drifted in there. What, whatever I was in that, I was in that black, but I could see out and watch everything. So this was uh, one of these things. Now I wanted to um, um, talk to you about some other things here. Um, many times there's a tunnel unmistakably a tunnel that's reported um there's another case in an Eng uh, about an english woman who was 12 weeks pregnant because and she was in a hospital because she of a threatened miscarriage so shortly after being put on a saline drip she lost all signs of blood pressure and pulse she went she was bottom lined and she said after that i faded out and found myself up at the top left hand corner of the room against the ceiling looking down in quite a detached way at all the people fussing around my body. I realized I must be dying, and the odd thing was I didn't mind in the least. As I said, I was up at the top corner of the room. There was a big sash window below me, which was opened at the top and through which all the blazing light of the hot summer was coming in. And against the ceiling beside me was a wide bore pipe or narrow tunnel through which I was obviously meant to make my exit, and in the distance at the end of, what, of that it seemed to be even brighter. Bright light was nothing exceptional that summer, but this did seem to be actually like the sun itself up there. The pipe itself was corrugated or ridged in some way, rather like the sort of tube that you can attach to a tumble dryer to let the damp air out of a window. I never actually went past the entrance to the pipe. I seemed to hover quite comfortably near the entrance for what seemed like a few minutes. I was only a few feet away from the people around my body, whom I could see were very busy. The next thing I was aware of was that I was very much back in my body, being rushed along the covered ways that joined the building of the old hospital on my way to the theater. So this transition to the other realm is sometimes signaled by the appearance of a bright light, sometimes seen at the end of the tunnel, but sometimes it can be experienced without passage through any sort of darkness. Now, even though this light is uh, very bright, it's not blinding, and it seems to have an attractive and reassuring quality, which I can imagine would be hard to describe, yeah, there's a bright light that seemed to comfort and be reassuring. Did it say anything? No, it just seemed to 
be reassuring. Some experiencers report having felt a sense of homecoming as they approach the light. Now, another stage that occurs is the um, idea of uh, approaching um, a, uh, a, a a person or um, a presence, sometimes uh, the beloved deceased or just a, a comforting presence. So after entering the light, although sometimes before the experiencer may encounter deceased friends or relatives or some mysterious spiritual presence. So the deceased are almost always described as looking younger and healthier than remembered, and the presence is sometimes described as being comprised of nothing but light. And communication with the deceased or the presence is usually described as telepathic, and it usually concerns the question of whether the uh, individual is to return to the body or not. And sometimes the choice seems to be up to the individual, and other times the presence or deceased relative orders the person to return. And I was talking about this to a group of people. Um, I was invited to speak. It was like a rotary club, and most of the people there didn't believe in any of the stuff. There were there were some people who were believed, and uh, someone said, so how come the people that come back I always say I was given a choice and I decided to come back. He said, how come you never hear about people who didn't decide to come back? And, you know, like two or three people laughed, and I just looked at him. And I said, uh, I want you to consider what you just said. And, uh, you know, everybody kind of laughed, and he, he just looked at me. And I don't know if you ever figured out why you would never hear from somebody who decided not to come back, you know, unless – you had a Ouija board or something. Uh, we're going to go to station identification and we'll be back in just a minute. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, Katarna, Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4 30, the Crystal Silence Day Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, and the Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron. Elvira Love and Phoenix LeFay, Friday, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So many people have the near-death experience, they're pronounced dead, or they're trying to be resuscitated, and they leave the body. And here's an account from uh, uh, Raymond Moody's book. A woman had uh, um, passed away on the table. They're trying to resuscitate her. She leaves her body. She said, uh, 15 years ago when I was 59, I had a heart attack. The doctor came, and when he left to ring for an ambulance, he warned me not to move on any account. She said, then everything became warm and bright and light and beautiful. And she said, this iron band that was around her chest about her heart attack was gone, and I was traveling along a tunnel. Gradually, there was a brilliant light at the end, and I knew I was going right into the glowing heart of that light. But then I saw a group of people between me and the light. I knew them. My brother, who had died a few years before, was waving delightedly as I approached. Their faces were so happy and welcoming. Then my mother became detached from the group. She shook her head and waved her hand, and I stopped, and I heard the doctor say, she's coming around, and I was in my bed in the doctor, and my husband were there. My first words to the doctor were, why did you bring me back? So usually the encounters with the people are uh, familiar people, but sometimes people encounter uh, individuals on the other side that they don't know. But then later they're identified, and this is very interesting. So um, here's an account uh, about a man who passed out uh, after recovering from an operation, and listen to this. He said, I could see a wall and a gate. It's like an entrance, and behind the wall I could see my late grandparents on my father's side and an uncle who died before I was born. But the person with whom I seemed to be able to communicate – I did not recognize. He was tall with fair hair, 
and his features were very clear. I felt I should know him, but didn't. He asked if I really wanted to be there, and it felt so good, no more pain, and so relaxed as I had never felt before. My grandmother held out her hand to draw me in, but the man told me that I had so much to give and to live for. At this point, I reentered my body and sprang back up to a seated position. I was sick, bringing up more clots of blood. I was afraid that time to tell anyone. A while later, I told my mother and father. My mother identified the man as her father, who had died when she was young, and can verify that I had at no time seen a picture of my grandfather. What she got to admit is pretty cool, and there are many stories like that. Now, the, the life review is a, a common feature of the near-death experience. Um, and at some stage of the near-death experience, um, usually after encountering this being of light, um, the individual may experience a life review. And the review is in the form of uh, unusually vivid and clear, almost instantaneous images of either the person's entire life or a few selected highlights. Uh, in most cases, they may be in an orderly chronological order, you know, like a slideshow. And sometimes they seem to appear all at once. Boom, 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 all at once. Sometimes individuals report um, re-experiencing a past event while feeling great empathy with the others who were involved. Sometimes even experiencing the event from the perspective of those they have hurt. And this life review, when it occurs may be the only distressing part of the experience, depending on the memories evoked. But most commonly, it's said to be experienced with a mixture of emotions. As um, in this account uh, from this uh, gentleman from England, he said, My life passed before me in a momentary flash, but it was entire. Even my thoughts were included. Some of the contents caused me to be ashamed but there were one or two I had forgotten about of which I was quite pleased. All in all, I knew that I could have lived a much better life, but it could have been a lot worse. Be that as it may, I knew that it was all over now and there was no going back. He's, he was a remarkably um, uh, calm individual. Um, I think I would have dwelled on uh, the harm I've done. Uh, even if the good outweighed the harm a thousandfold, I would have thought about I don't know. I don't know. Um, because I know the good I've done has outweighed the harm I've done a thousandfold. But I think if I relived some of the harm I've done, I would have just sat there and I, I don't know. If I had to relive that, it would have I would have dwelled on it. That's just me, I guess. So these frequency of the life review um, um, doesn't happen to everybody, just some people. Um and then after the life review, there's the experience of entering the light, which happens uh, often enough and frequently enough that it's uh, it's almost a cliche. Go into the light, go into the light. So this happens usually only in the deeper stages. Not everybody experiences this. Um, in the deeper stages of the near-death experience, they enter the light. So many say that it's a uh, like entering a world of indescribable beauty. There's meadows and gardens with uh, colors that there's no name for. Uh, magnificent cities can be seen in the distance. There's music that can't be described. The uh, overwhelming beauty and color and lighting um, sets it apart from anything in this dimension or this world. So one thing that's in common that they come back and say it's nothing like is described in church. Uh, so reported contact with this environment does not seem to correlate with any kind of prior religious belief. It's got nothing to do with what people expect. People who are Christians, um, uh, Jewish, uh, Islamic, who've had these experiences, uh, and that they've been uh, worldwide say, it's not what we were taught. So, about a third of near-death experiences uh, include um, this final stage, and if it proceeds that far, that's where they encounter the deceased relatives and friends, and they're, they're forced to make a decision. They're shown a glimpse of what's waiting them on the other side. They say, you can pass through here, 
and sometimes they're offered a choice. They say, but, you know, are you going to come or are you going to go back? And, but sometimes they're not allowed. They say, it's not your time. There's still stuff you have to do. You have to go, you have to go back, but this is, this is waiting for you when you do die. Um, they usually find themselves back in the body instantaneously. Um, sometimes experiencing the uh, discomfort of, uh, uh, drastic resuscitative measures. And I mean, you've seen this, right? The, the fibrillation paddles where they're shocking you, your whole body goes, you know, where they're shoving stuff down your throat, uh, injecting you with adrenaline. Uh, resuscitation is, is never pleasant. So that often happens. So that's the near death experience. So what, what's the after effects of this? People die. They say, I, I died and I've seen the afterlife. What's the after effects? Well, how would it affect you? You know, you, you have this experience and, you know, we believe what we experience, right? Um, if, if you see it, you believe it. That's just the thing. And if you haven't experienced this intense, you leave your body, you walk around, you see people reviving your body. Some people leave the room and go out and experience conversations in another room and come back and say, yeah, y'all were talking about me, right? Well, yeah. And you were divvying up my property and there, there was a, I, I've heard this. Y'all were carving up my property while they were in there talking about me, right? Well, you know, you know, the hell with you. I'm cutting y'all out of my will. They described things that were happening. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you a report. Uh, we may not have time tonight of the most extreme case or near death experience that was blow your mind. And then you come back. How would it affect you? You know, you're no longer a person of faith. You're a person of knowledge, right? So most of the people who've had these near death experiences say, well, it's the most significant event of their lives. Now, the nature of the near-death experience might be controversial, but there's no disagreement that the people come back and they're profoundly changed. They um, Typically, they now have a thirst for knowledge. Their compassion and tolerance for others has multiplied a hundred times. They have, uh, they're no longer competitive. They have a reduced competitiveness. They have a reduced interest in material possessions. They have an increased interest in spirituality. They have a decreased interest in uh, organized religion, as you can imagine, uh, a greater appreciation for life, and they have a, a, a greatly reduced fear of death, and uh, as you also might imagine, a greatly increased belief in the afterlife. Now, here's the question that arises. Are those due to the near-death experience or simply coming close to death? Well, um, a very early study in near-death experiences um, found that even people who recalled nothing from when they were close to death uh, reported that their lives were altered in significant drastic ways by just the sheer fact of almost dying. And a statistical analysis showed that many people uh, experienced personality and value changes uh, similar to people who had um, near-death experiences. There were more parallels and contrasts, in other words. But where there were differences, right, um, the differences tended to fall on the side of the people who experienced near-death experience, uh, experience, near experiences. The main differences were that of a higher that a higher percentage of near-death experiencers tended to report the increased appreciation of life, a renewed sense of purpose. Uh, they, they were stronger people. They were more patient and understanding of other people, and they had an increased empathy of others. And um, on uh, 10 other measures, they were more or less the same. Just the experience of almost dying had similarities. So... Um, and um, so uh, another researcher, uh, Dr. Uh, Sabom, reported similar after effects in his study of uh, mostly people who had cardiac arrests, and he performed statistical analysis comparing experiencers and non-experiencers on only two measures, fear of death and belief in an afterlife. Now, his findings were completely in agreement with both Dr. Ring and Dr. Moody, both studies found that experiencers had a significantly greater decrease in fear of death and a significantly greater increase in belief in an afterlife. In Dr. Sabom's study, um, 
found that these changes were by no means transitory, but they persisted permanently. So a more recent study of people who had cardiac arrest in the Netherlands came to the uh, same conclusion. Uh, those who'd experienced a near-death experience, that's kind of repetitive, but there you go, reported an increase in appreciation of life, understanding, and empathy for others, all to a greater degree than those who had cardiac arrest who did not report a near-death experience. And an eight-year follow-up showed that not only did these changes persist across time, but they also are more apparent at eight years than at two. They grew. They evolved. Now, one of the most rigorous studies examining the impact of the near-death experiences on the lives of those who experienced it was completed in 1998 by two clinical psychologists, Gary Groth Barnett and Roger Summers, and this study compared changes in 53 subjects who reported having had a near-death experience with a control group composed of 27 individuals who reported having similar life-threatening incidences but without a corresponding near-death experience. The researchers concluded after the life-threatening situations, the areas of change indicated that persons having undergone near-death experiences became more concerned with the welfare of others, felt less anxiety regarding death with a strong belief in an afterlife, had more transcendental types of experiences, became less materialistic, and felt an increased sense of self-worth, a greater appreciation for nature, and an increase in awareness of paranormal phenomenon. The extent of changes found among NDEers was consistently and significantly greater than persons who had merely encountered life-threatening situations. The study also found that those who reported deeper experiences tended to have gone through more extensive changes than those who reported shallower experiences. The study was unusual for its rigorous design, an in-depth comparison of near-death experiences with a control group, and the researchers were unequivocal about their major conclusions. In short, they stated that it's the actual near-death experience itself rather than some other factors such as merely being exposed to a life-threatening situation that's crucial in facilitating change. So the message that we get from the, those who have had a classic near-death experience is after death, there's more. And the purpose of life is to grow and evolve and to love and to be loved and to learn as much as we can while we're still alive. Now, there's a drawback to this. Critics have pointed out that you got to be careful about publicizing this beautiful nature of the near-death experience because it could lead to a rash of suicides. But it's been found that depressed individuals who've had a near-death experience after a suicide attempt report both the lifting of the depression and an end to suicidal thoughts. So one set of researchers wrote that several of our respondents stated that they would now be willing to counsel others against suicide despite, or maybe you should say because of, having had a beautiful suicide-related near-death experience themselves. So don't go killing yourself because of it. In fact, there was a house episode of that, a kid stuck a knife in a uh, electrical outlet and had a near-death experience in the house, tried to replicate it, and he came back and he said, I didn't see anything. There was nothing there. So uh, so there you go. Don't, don't try to kill yourself to try to have a near-death experience. We're running out of time. We'll pick this up next week. We're going to discuss the most extreme example of near-death experience on record. Uh, oh, my gosh, do come back and uh, – you know, I love you very much. I didn't have a near-death experience, but I believe in the afterlife, and I believe in you. My gosh, come back. I'm so happy to be here. I want to go somewhere cool and eat a popsicle. <laughs> so see you next week.